Hello, and welcome to the Be Bold Podcast, a podcast where we discuss lifestyle, health, and wellness. I'm your host, Tessa Breeden, certified personal trainer and nutrition specialist with over a decade of experience. Now, listen up, because I've got a good episode coming your way. All right. Dr. Tanya Khan, oculoplastic surgeon and board-certified ophthalmologist. This is your second time on the podcast, and I am beyond happy to have you today. Me too. I'm so excited to be back. I think your show has been outstanding, and you're covering like so many great topics. Well, thank you. I'm really excited to dive in today's topic because we actually originally met through Orange Theory. And so you are a self-proclaimed fitness junkie. I have seen you working out. You are in amazing physical shape and constantly trying to improve yourself. I think you just mentioned you got done at the gym today. So uh, it's great. But we're going to be diving into a topic that has become really oddly popular on social media. And it's what I would consider the most recent phenomenon when it comes to celebrity health routines, which are weight loss drugs. And according to the Mayo Clinic website, weight loss drugs mimic the action of hormones called glucagon-like peptide 1 when blood sugar levels start to rise after somebody eats. And these drugs stimulate the body to produce more insulin. And that extra insulin then helps to lower blood sugar levels. The body does naturally release GLP-1 after a meal, causing the hormones to travel to the brain, triggering the feeling of fullness. And these GLP-1 drugs effectively inject that sense of satiety, which slow the rate at which food empties out of the stomach which ultimately alters the metabolic system. So I know that was a a really long intro and a lot of information, but I think it's important to kind of state what we're talking about today and why we're talking about these things. Because we've had some conversations offline about our personal opinions, but I think you're seeing the rise of this phenomenon as well. For sure. So I think... We're definitely seeing this from both of our unique perspectives with you being in the fitness and health uh, space and then me as well being in more of the cosmetic facial environment where people are coming in to improve things about their face, essentially, whether it's their eyelids or, you know, wanting some filler, wanting some Botox, et cetera. And No, I think that was an excellent recap, just a good review of actually what these medicines are, because we recognize the household names now of Ozempic and Majorno and, you know, maybe even semi-glutide and, but don't know exactly, you know, what they do. And so you're absolutely right. These are, you know, hormones that are released, you know, after meals and, And there's a couple of other players in it too that I think, you know, we may cover later on like leptin and ghrelin and essentially, yeah, what they're doing is they're regulating your blood sugars so that you don't have any extremes, right? You don't hit low blood sugars, you don't hit high blood sugars. And so your body is trying to regulate um, the distribution of the blood sugars to either be put in storage if it's in excess or to release it if they're sensing that there's low blood pressure. And then uh, some of the other hormones are also working in conjunction to signal your brain 
depending on like the pace that you're eating. And if you're eating really fast, you might actually be throwing off some of those metabolic signals that will cause your brain to be like, okay, take a break. You know, I don't need to be eating anymore. And if that's thrown out of whack, then that can take a while to kind of correct itself. Yeah. And I think it's also really important before we even continuously dive into this topic that we're not really here to just speak negatively about these drugs because these drugs were not created with ill intent. You know, these drugs were specifically created and approved by the FDA specifically for administration to treat type 2 diabetes and obesity, which are leading causes in the United States. And they're things that we're seeing continuously grow across young children and in different communities. And I think that it is being it is being used incorrectly, and that's where it gets a bad rep. There are a lot of clinics and there are a lot of pharmacies that are giving these prescriptions to people without proper uh, consultations with actual physicians, and they are knowingly giving these treatments out to people because of the brand name of the quote-unquote Ozempic diet or things of that nature. And I think that not only is it, in my personal opinion, wrong that it's being treated this way, but it's also making it so that people that need these drugs and people that are maybe in a minority that might need the type 2 diabetes or those, those drugs are no longer able to get access to them because this Ozempic diet is a very elitism type wellness practice that people are pushing onto social media. Yeah, that was very well said. I, I think, yeah, you know, both want to stand, you know, our ground that this is an effective medicine for sure, you know, and in the treatment of type 2 diabetes where, you know, we don't want to just rely on lifestyle changes alone to to get people's blood sugars to correct themselves, but we want to provide medicines. We want to have alternatives to traditional treatments like insulin. And so this is an excellent treatment. But uh, like you said, because of this diet craze, people who actually need it might be running into distribution issues. I think that the manufacturers have been trying to keep up with the um, the demand for this drug in every single sector, and prices have also gone up, right? So, you know, we know that insurances don't always traditionally cover the entire cost of medications, but there may be some economic considerations here where just based on the supply demand, uh, the prices of these drugs have also gone up which is, you know, hard, it, it, which is no, no pun intended, but, you know, a bitter pill to swallow for people who actually need this medicine, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas I think a lot of folks who are um, trying some glutides out for weight loss are maybe prepared to pay cash because it's, they've maybe exhausted so many things and, you know, they're used to paying out of pocket for their gym memberships and for supplements and things like that. And so this is the next thing that they want to try. Why do you think people 
instantly go to what feels like the easiest solution for them when it comes to insecurities they're having, whether that be like weight loss or specifically going to you for injectables or things to fix themselves. What do you, what do you think the psychology behind that is? I think we have so many things in our society that are very easily attainable now. You know, if you want a body like Kim Kardashian, well, you know, there's a directory of plastic surgeons who will give you that physique, right? Almost I mean, you know, with with some modifications, maybe to, you know, the, you may not be the best surgical candidate, but mostly, you know, if you are going in seeking a type of look, you're going to be able to find a provider who will give that to you. You know, I think social media has driven a lot of the instant, you know, gratification for so many things we're you know constantly if and i know like i'm guilty of this too if i'm not doing anything i feel weird being idle and so i'm on my phone <laughs> you know just as like okay i'm doing something but i'm probably not i'm just scrolling but you know all of that passive engagement i think is actively creating changes in our minds and our psyche of things that we should be sh- you know shopping for you know what's um you know, what's the next trend in, you know, clothing, you know, what's like, and so we're just, we are overwhelmed, you know, visually stimulated, I think by so much out there. And everything is within, you know, like an arm's reach, basically. So in my case, I feel like people come in, you know, and and I think there's, again, so many factors to explain maybe what we're observing now. But I know for us, um, after COVID, you know, all of this video conferencing, um, the Zoom boom, which a lot of people call it, led to kind of an increase in patient volume for us. So, you know, no complaints. (laughs) But, you know, we definitely saw a lot of people who are very uh, self-aware of how they started to look on screen. They're looking at themselves for maybe hours a day. And um, picking up on things that maybe they weren't aware of before, you know, you spend five minutes getting ready in front of the mirror in the morning, and then maybe you don't see yourself again until the evening. Well, that time period has kind of passed, right? Because you're almost always looking at some form of yourself, you know, on a screen, whether it's FaceTime or Zoom or something. And so we did have people who were like, you know, I don't, I think my eyes make me look tired. I think my face looks kind of deflated, you know, and so on. So I think that that was a contributor, right? And um, yeah, there was a fix, you know, come into our office and we'll, you know, evaluate you. Maybe we do surgery, we'll do injections, et cetera. And um, I think now what I've started to see is, and I've still been seeing, you know, going along with Ozempic and the semaglutides, I've also been seeing people who are more readily getting gastric bypass surgery and kind of it's, you know, it's variants. Um, so the gastric sleeves and so forth. And all of these treatments produce drastic, rapid weight loss. And and I think we'll probably get into this in a little bit, but what I have seen then is people who come in asking me, Hey, I just lost, you know, 
60, 70 pounds um, in the last couple of months and my face shrunk. And, um, and this has been termed something too, like the ozempic face or whatever, but I'm seeing it also with, you know, with gastro bypass um, uh, patients as well. And they're not used to looking that way, right? They, they wanted to look skinnier for sure, right? Have a leaner body, but you know, a more youthful face is actually a little bit fuller. You know, we don't want a really gaunt face because that, you know, kind of, it makes you look older and more skeletonized. And so, um, but I've had people be um, pretty adamant about, hey, I need eyelid surgery. You know, I had a girl come in who was like, I need lower eyelid surgery. And I just had um, a gastric sleeve done. I lost a ton of weight. And I looked at her and she's not a candidate for surgery, meaning that she doesn't need surgery right now, right? Like she can do some non-invasive stuff, even just skincare, chemical peels. We can do filler to her under eye area and that'll make her look a little bit um, better. But those are all I would offer. I'm not going to take out fat from her lower eyelids. That's not visible, right? That's not doing her anything. That's doing a disservice to her. And so I talked to her about this at length. And after that discussion, she still came back and she's like, but can we just do eyelid surgery? <laughs> and I was like, no, <laughs> you know, I don't know what to tell uh, you. And, and, and most people in your position sitting in that chair would be happy that I just told them, you don't really need to do surgery right now, right? Like you can do other things that will help keep up the maintenance of your, um, your, your looks, but you know, we don't need to drop a ton of money right now on surgery. Like you can do other things. And, but I think what's happening is that, um, people are used to being like, okay, you know what? Give me injections, give me surgery. Let's do, let's have a one and done and be over with it. And that's where it's becoming destructive. Yes. That's something I am seeing on the obviously flip side, on the fitness side of things with that instant gratification. Now, I'm going to obviously sit here and tell you, I get it. I also really like instant gratification, but the amount of disappointment I see when results take people longer than they are anticipated is truly something that I've not noticed until really getting into this space. And the reason I specifically say that is I've noticed fitness becoming a larger phenomenon starting when I was the end of high school, 2010, 2011, and it's really started to grow from there. Now, there's also probably a correlation with the popularity of social media apps in that time as well. But that also then brings me back to something like an injectable when we're thinking about a drug to cure something. So first it was skinny teas, which are just laxatives where you're sitting on the toilet and you can't get off. And then it was fat burners that supplement companies were selling. Then it was a liquid that makes you, or a cream you put on your body to make yourself sweat more. And then it was wraps that you put around yourself to, again, make you sweat more. And then waist trainers and all of these things to produce these instant results. And while I don't love any of those things either, those are probably going to be a lot less harmful than a 
actual drug that you are taking that is altering a compound in your body. It is altering your hormones. It is altering your metabolic system. And something that's important to know is that in clinical trials of these GLP-1 drugs, a majority of patients regain their lost weight within a year. And this is information I don't think is being shared by providers because from the research that I have done and from personal relationships that I know who have been through these treatments is not all of the drugs that are being given out are being given out by direct providers. They are being given out by online clinics. So why do you think that this information isn't being shared. Do you think this is the companies trying to just pump out this product? So I've um, I've heard of several um, accounts of you know uh, kind of random online websites, Instagram accounts that are um, purporting like we'll be able to get you your semaglutide. You know you don't have to go through the whole like you know, go to a doctor to get it prescribed and we'll, we'll have a workaround. And in fact, the article that you and I read, you know, talked about one of these instances where the patient, the writer of the article assumed that she would at least have a Zoom meeting to like visually justify that she was the BMI that she stated she was in order to qualify for the drug. And that never happened. So there is I think so much like intrigue around this medicine and just everyone wants to get their hands on it that so many people are willing to probably even overlook some of the information that's out there, you know, cause you can have like, you can have as narrow of a search, you know, as you want, if you just want to get to your end goal, which is, I want to get this drug. I want to start taking it. I want to start losing weight. And you see all the positive reinforcement. You know, I've seen clinics, you know, some plastic surgery clinics and, and, and otherwise where the staff and the physicians, you know, they're all taking them. Right. And they're showing what great results they're having. And they're even showing themselves taking the shots, you know, showing that it's kind of an easy process for you to do. And you can kind of follow along in our journey. You can see how much weight we're losing every week and, you know, you know, what kinds of side effects are we having? And maybe they're downplaying a little bit of that, you know, um, and making it look like it's, it's overall a really pleasant experience. But, you know, as we know, there's so many side effects that go with this, right? There's, you know, you can have pancreatic issues, you can have long-term blood sugar regulation issues, GI, you know, there's a, a whole number of things. And, and again, the biggest thing is that how long do you stay on this medicine for, right? Because at some point, what if you just start to develop some long-term organ, you know, systemic issues, that then make you have to get off this. And now you have created more issues, you know, and again, going back to the fact that the semaglutides that they have approved for obesity are at a higher dose, right? To Mm -hmm. target the obesity part of it and not so much the blood sugar regulation. So now you're taking a totally normal patient who has normal blood sugar regulation, insulin, glucagon productions, and you're, 
you know, subjecting them to an even higher dose of this medicine that is intended initially just to regulate blood sugar. So you are creating totally like, you know, a storm of its own, like, disproportion. Um, and you are probably even more prone to developing some of the side effects that are um, that we know about. And and the weight regain is a real issue, right? Because I think everyone has this question with like any treatment, right? Everyone asks, hey, how long is this filler going to last in my body? You know, if I do you know, hair supplements, um, you know, or injections, PRP, how long is that going to last? Do I need to keep doing it for life? Everything has these two questions essentially, right? So it's the same thing with this. This is a, you know, a costly thing for one, as we know, our, our perceived trends of like what type of a body physique that keeps changing. Right. And I think that article did a great job of kind of talking about how we went from, you know, super, super skinny, you know, aesthetics to having more curve and definition and, you know, having like the really disproportionate waistline to like bottom and top. And, and then now we're kind of going into like a new territory. So you can never quite, pin down exactly what society will perceive as beautiful, right? But we know that just being healthy overall and, you know, being in moderation and having fitness and things like that built into your lifestyle will always be helpful. But I think it's, you know, it's definitely something that needs to be side by side talked about when we discussed this drug that, you know, there are, there are people who have intractable nausea and vomiting, right? And I don't know, I mean, I feel like we may say the nausea vomiting comes with so many medications, fine. But when you have it where you cannot keep down food or drink, like that's a miserable place to be. And sure, the trade-off is that you're losing weight, probably because you can't keep anything down, much less that, you know, you're having the delayed emptying. But like, it's just, you know, the day-to-day of this is not all like, you know, sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns. I mean, there really is kind of a darker like reality of being on this drug long-term. And I think that we will see this play out more as the drug has been, you know, in existence long enough. Yeah, I agree. And I think that as research continues to develop and we learn more, hopefully people realize this isn't just a, I could get on semaglutide as a diet fix, as a short-term solution, because at the end of the day, we're now realizing that that most likely is not a short-term solution. And it would essentially have to be something you'd have to stay on for a long time. And you actually mentioned some of those side effects being nausea, diarrhea, gastrointestinal distress. That directly correlates to not having enough nutrients in your body, which is then resulting in the gaunt face and hair loss, which are directly associated with anorexia, which is not getting enough nutrients into your body. So I'm, I am not a doctor. I am not a researcher, but as a consumer and somebody that works in the health space, I can see a correlation to not having enough nutrients in your body resulting in some of these side effects that are happening with these patients. I think another thing that is just so interesting to me is that a lot of these drugs or We'll call them quote unquote solutions 
are being portrayed as wellness and they are the direct opposite of wellness. Wellness is suddenly becoming this very unattainable thing to the vast majority of people. And it's almost becoming, again, this like elite, exclusive, privileged opportunity that people have when that's not what health and wellness is supposed to be. Health and wellness is supposed to be adding things to your diet to get you into a good nutrient-dense place, not adding in these drugs that are going to give you this temporary solution of drastic weight loss that's going to potentially cause you harm in the future. I just, I think there's such a tricky line. And as somebody who's in the health and fitness space, it can be really frustrating to see clients go from working really hard, seeing slow, but visible results and not fast enough. And then instantly jumping into a drug as an option or trying to do gastric bypass or getting tummy tucks or all of these different things as a solution. Now, a question I have for you in regards to that, are you noticing younger patients starting to come to you with this phenomenon of social media, just pressing into this wellness mindset? Yeah. So I think Almost every single patient that I'm thinking of falls into sort of the the 30s to late 40s, you know, kind of age category. So I think we're definitely seeing a skewed, um, you know, variance on the like on the bell curve there with um, the age. Uh, and so and I think that another thing to think about then even, you know, especially with a younger demographic is the psychological changes are even more plastic at that point, right? So, you know, uh, you have a younger patient who's more, uh, you know, susceptible to pressures from society, from social media, from their families. And they're the ones who are now, you know, with a lifestyle and income, you know, that can help them, you know, pay for these things out of pocket and expect sudden immediate like happiness. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, at the end of the day, everyone's seeking happiness. And I think one thing that, you know, you know, and, and I'm not maybe opposed to, you know, I think, I think it's just become too widespread that people are, are getting onto some glutides. I think that, within reason on a case by case basis, I think that it makes sense for some people who are, you know, obese, and they've maybe, you know, like that article suggested to that, you know, their, their um, brain signaling metabolic pathways have been altered for so long now, that it might be just really hard for them to get back to a place where their body will start responding more normally. And maybe that change just takes place over so many years, but it would be nice if they could get a kickstart. And I think what has to happen though, with every single patient who gets started on anyone is counseling. Right. And I think that that part is left out in so many cases. And so this is where you see people who are, really depressed actually right they you know there is a correlation with with weight loss bariatric surgery and a little bit increased rate of depression and it's mm. 
not, it's, it's a little paradoxical, right? You would think that someone who's been struggling to lose weight, you know, now all of a sudden has a thinner body should be happier. But there's, as we know, there's so much more that goes into wellness overall, which is the emotional, psychological factors of how you perceive yourself, you know, how you live your daily lifestyle, you know, even having, you know, the endorphins from working out. I mean, all of those things play a role in how we feel about ourselves. And if you subtract the psychological part of it, maybe even the um, the feeling of success in um, achieving, you know, your, your new physique because of the changes that you introduced, right? You made some sacrifices in, in your diet and you made some changes to how you approach fitness, that it's going to be something you do on a regular basis. You're not just going to, you know, stop once you're at a, at a goal. And so I think that component um, is neglected. And I think that people, again, who are going from, you know, very large bodies to all of a sudden being really thin, I think that they need that additional, um, you know, uh, th- uh, like therapy in the process of being able to talk about these changes and know what to expect, what's coming down the road, because it's going to come really quick and, and how to deal with that and how to, and how to integrate those healthy changes into their lifestyles so that they're not just, you know, at a smaller body now, but they also, you know, like I've seen so many people who then they never go to the gym, you know, they, they still have not made any of those changes that they should have, right. That should have gone with the post-operative care almost of being on a semi-glutide or having had bariatric surgery and, and they're not at a good place mentally. Or I've seen people who, you know, they can't physically eat more and that alone causes them to be a little sad. And I would be too. I'd be looking at a plate, you yeah. know, where like you want to have a little more and you physically can't, right? I mean, and it's socially awkward. I mean, there there are a lot of things that go with it. And I think that people don't um, see all of those repercussions because they are focusing on the present and the physical and the visible, which is just, I want to be, you know, a fitter person who can Mm -hmm. wear cute clothes or, you know, whatever their goals are. And fit does not, I'm sorry, skinny does not always mean healthy. There are plenty of thin people that internally are, are not healthy. And I think that's important to remember as well. There's a couple things that I think are really important to note about what you just said. Some of those effects of losing that large amount of weight so rapidly and having that mental health correlation. I mentioned to you, I know somebody who is on one of these weight loss drugs and I saw a video that they had posted recently saying they're, yes, proud of themselves for losing 50 pounds in seven months, but they are still struggling with the acceptance of themselves. They are noticing loose skin around their arms, around their legs, where they have lost some of that body fat, and that's making them insecure in a way that they were not previously insecure. And so I do think that there is a very large mental health correlation. And I think that there's also a lack of health literacy that's being provided to patients from providers. I think that health illiteracy is a very common thing. It's something, again, speaking with people that are reaching out to me for services or asking me questions about health and fitness are 
not educated about what they need or what's right for them. And one of those things being is a lot more people think that they are technically classified as obese due to the BMI scale, which we know a lot of providers still use. And I'm not going to sit here and knock anybody for using BMI, but BMI was created, one, I believe it was created in like the like late 1800s, no, early 1900s, something like that. And I believe it was also initially created for European men. And it doesn't necessarily work for women and it doesn't consider a lot of hormonal factors. And BMI is where a lot of people think that they are getting a majority of their their information if they're of in regards to their health, if they are overweight, if they're underweight, if they're obese, because it's something their doctors told them or it's something an online calculator has told them. And just because your BMI is claiming that you are obese does not mean that you are actually obese and need to seek out this type of solution. Yeah. And, and you're totally right. Medical offices are super guilty of this. <laughs> you know, like have you step on the scale, take your height and you know, punch it into a calculator and yeah, here's your BMI and here's where you fall in the obese, overweight, you know, scale. So, you know, and as we know, that is obviously flawed, you know, doesn't take into account fat content, muscle, you know, mass, and um, a lot of important contributors to your overall health and wellness. And so uh, there's, I think that it's very easy for people to go off some of these standards and, you know, traditional measurements of what quantifies you as a healthy versus overweight person. And then, and then you see the other side of things, you know, on social media where you should look like Kim Kardashian did wearing her dress at the Met Gala. And like, there's just this huge disconnect between what people, you know, most of us will should fall right in the middle, right? We're having built-in fitness and, you know, making healthy food choices, nutrient-dense, you know, diet, I think that, you know, that's where most of us will benefit. But then you have people who want to seek out these very strange, like, aesthetic ideals that are being popularized on social media. And you can achieve that with, you know, certain, like, surgeons and, you know, be, being on medications and stuff. Um, and I, you know, I wanted to comment earlier, you had talked about some of the more primitive things that we saw come through and, you know, diet and health fads that have kind of like, they reach their peak and then they die out and you never hear about them again. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting to see kind of that play out over the last several years, even, right? Like we've witnessed some of this, you know, I mean, I can think back, you might be too young for this, but you know, I remember like Suzanne Summers, you know, with her, like the thigh master and things like that, you know, I mean, there's so many things that have just fallen into that space and there's not a whole lot of instruction that comes with it, but all you see is the person who promotes it, the device or the treatment. And there's like the instant correlation of okay, if I do this, I should look like that. Mm -hmm. And it's just not that simple of an equation. I 
Completely agree. And I truly, truly think that a lot of these trends are becoming more popular and are, what's the word, cycling faster because of influencers and social media. Because let's just say Sally Sue, the influencer, just had a baby or maybe has three babies and her bounce back body looks really great. And people think, she looks that way. I should be able to look that way right after I have my three babies. And it just creates this really, really vicious cycle in terms of what people want. I mean, I can even think you might be seeing this even more prominently, lip filler. Lip filler was huge a few years back. I have never seen so many people get their lip filler dissolved over the past year. So many people either getting lip filler dissolved because it was done too quickly, done incorrectly, filled too large, or people continuously got them filled and then they got to a place where they started to look like a duck lip or something that was a bit unnatural. And so that's something I'm noticing. And again, I find it to be this really large shifting cycle on social media specifically and with this influencer demographic that people are consuming a majority of their information through. Mm -hmm. And what we've been seeing in the aesthetic space is, well, you know, injectables have been around for about 20 years or so, let's say, give or take. And we've gone through tons of iterations of different types of fillers, different brand names, and they've all become kind of household names that we all recognize, you know, Juvederm, Restylane, and there's like libraries of like fillers at this point, right? But I think to meet that initial supply demand, right? It was like, we saw, you know, tons of clinics and med spas open up to accommodate, you know, all the people who wanted to now get in on this. And again, I think what came with that was very little regulation on kind of exactly who was injecting or with what type of experience or, you know, um, just even instructions sometimes from the manufacturers, like, you know, should you, you know, use this type of filler in this region, et cetera, you know, and there were a lot of things. And so I think what we're seeing now is uh, like a distribution across the board of people who have gotten injections done, who knows where, Sometimes in doctors' offices as well, not to say, you know, that it's just, you know, from med spas, but, and they're either not liking the way that that, you know, yeah, like their lips are too full. They were told that the filler was going to dissolve in a year, but it hasn't. Mm-hmm. Or they now, you know, we know that some fillers have a tendency to have, to cause delayed onset, things called granulomas, which are kind of like a, a thicker, like scar tissue. And that can't be dissolved. That actually needs to be like surgically removed. And and that again also may depend on where it was placed, how superficially or deep it was placed. And 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 I am seeing some people who, yeah, just don't want to look like that anymore, right? Like they're like, you know, I've had that phase of my life and like now, <laughs> you know, I want to have like more normal kind of, you know, I want to go back to the way I used to look however many years ago. And and it's not, you know, and I do get that often where I'm like, look, I can't like make you look like you're 20 when you're like 55 or something, but I'm going to try, <laughs> right? But at the same time, I'm, gonna, I'm like, I'm going to make you look your best at this age. But 
but you do see people who are, you know, they're like, look, I actually looked better, you know, and we're talking now maybe some younger patients who, you know, got surgery, like maybe a little too aggressively or, you know, and, and they just, they look different now. And they're like, they show me like a driver's license photo from a few years ago. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, I see what you mean. And so there's this constant, uh, it's, it's a swinging pendulum, right? Mm-hmm. Like beauty aesthetics and, you know, how we perceive ourselves. And sometimes, unfortunately, you see it after you've like done things that may be a little bit hard to, you know, we'll try to kind of get it back to what it was, but it's impossible to get you back to a hundred percent. So yeah, there's, I, I think that, you know, as, as aesthetic surgeons, we will always be up against what are the popular trends, right? And, mm-hmm. and I know for me, you know, I think most providers find this where your patients start to kind of select you and you select your patients. And so you match each other's aesthetic goals, right? I'm never going to tell anyone, hey, I'm going to give you huge lips and, you know, this and that. And, and to be fair, I don't really get patients who come in wanting that. And so you will find your person, you know, who will help you meet those goals. But um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, and, and, and it's, it's sort of exciting to be in the aesthetics like industry because you are, it's constantly changing, right? We're mm-hmm. also getting, you know, new like injectables and skincare treatments and devices that help us, you know, be able to kind of stay up to date with like the new trends and things like that, or even just make our jobs a little bit easier. Like, you know, we can offer you more treatments that, you know, work better than what the traditional stuff was, but it's equally challenging because, um, you know, I get consults from people who want, you know, their, their eyes to look like foxes and cats. And, you know, I'm like, you know, it's, and the trend is still there. And that was 100% spread by social media. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's just, it's always entertaining. I'll say that. I can only imagine. So I have a question in regards to, you mentioned that when it does come to things like fillers and injectables, you said that people would seek out providers that were not necessarily as as skilled in that particular field. I know that we've had this discussion. I think we talked about this a little bit on our last podcast episode in regards to like specifically in the state of Texas, that somebody doing injections does not need, they just need to be like a registered injector or something of that sort or licensed injector. And it's sort of like a cosmetology license in, in mm-hmm. essence. Do you think that there is fear or potential for these weight loss drugs to be distributed in the same way of these clinics that are not properly licensed to be doing so, but are doing so because of the nature of it? Yeah. I, I mean, cause I've seen it where, you know, like I know that part of it is okay. Well, you're going to experience weight loss from this, but really probably the only types of clinics that should be prescribing it should be like internal medicine or family medicine. Someone who actually has things to measure blood glucose and things like that, you know, like 
for instance, not a plastic surgery clinic. I mean, it just, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just think that it's two different spheres, you know, like, I mean, maybe to help manage some of the downstream things like, yeah, my face has shrunk and, you know, now I have all this loose skin. Can you help me with this? But I think this mentality of being, you know, it's a all in one, you come here, we're going to give you your, you know, some glutide injection, we'll get you started on that weight loss journey. Because then the, you know, the background is, are they being monitored? for the things that they need to be monitored for, right? Or are we keeping a log of their blood sugars? Are we, you know, monitoring their nausea, vomiting, constipation, their GI issues, you know, their lab work? Because, you know, we want to see what their pancreatic enzymes and their other, you know, biomarkers are doing. And I think that that would be best managed in a place that initially prescribed the medicine for diabetes or or they have that experience at least. Mm -hmm. So um, I think what gets scary is when, you know, people who don't have a lot of the know-how of everything that, you know, this medicine might entail, it's not so easy as just like calling in a prescription, but there's a lot of follow through that you, you know, should have with the patient. I, I see this already started, you know, the fact that there's like telehealth, you know, uh, websites that are offering to just kind of mail it out to you. And then who knows where they're getting that from? You know, uh, another issue is that there could be some compound pharmacies that are producing um, these drugs. And then in that case, you don't always know exactly um, how they're being manufactured. It's probably just a little bit different from the way the original drug was. So now you're introducing new variables. and on top of that, if let's say the provider on the other end of the telehealth or wherever is not even necessarily seeing the patient, but just sending the medicines out and they're documenting what you've provided them, which is whatever BMI you think you are, that will help you be qualified for that medicine or so forth. I mean, I think that there's sort of a general lack of responsibility that might come with you know, I just want to get this medicine out to you. You know, it's so hard to get it if you're going to go to your doctor. So let me be the, you know, the workaround for you to come, you know, get this and I'll charge you a fee. I'll charge you a finder's fee and we'll get you started. It's sort of like the conversation we had when you see plastic surgery on sale. You don't Mm -hmm. necessarily want to mess with your health and go for the on-sale option, although that might seem like the best financial option. It's at a specific price for a reason, and you should not necessarily seek out that cheaper option because that could be detrimental to your overall health. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) And when you said, you know, I, I agree with you, and you obviously were seeing these weight loss drugs being really pushed out by aesthetic offices or by plastic surgeons. And remember, this is FDA approved specifically to treat diabetes, which should be treated by an endocrinologist, which is a specialist for that specific disease. Remember, diabetes is a disease. It is a condition. It is not just something that is willy-nilly, oh, I have a headache. So it is specifically being treated by that specialist. It's sort of like going to a plastic surgeon because you're constipated. Like, what are you going to do? That's right. Yeah, it's a total mismatch. But it's like, 
you know, every and and I've seen some offices for now. They've sort of, you know, again, they'll they'll show you all the transparency of like, look, you know, we're all taking this drug, and you know, we're all doing well with it, you know, and we're still going to the gym, and we're doing all the things, you know, that we're supposed to. But I think at the very least, you need to be affiliated or associated with an internist, you know, or an endocrinologist who can help manage the other side of things. And that's not unusual in medicine, right? I mean, there are so many medical issues, surgical issues that, you know, we kind of collaborate and we have different, you know, kind of a multidisciplinary approach where it might require like thyroid eye disease, for instance, you know, is something that we as oculoplastic surgeons manage, um, but their endocrinologists will also manage. Um, you know, it might require an um, endocrine surgery and internal medicine, family medicine. So like, it, it's fine to have that. But I think when people feel like I can go ahead and just get this medicine and just keep taking it, you know, and, and not ever be like followed by anyone, but like, this is not a low maintenance medicine. I think that people really need to understand that. Yeah, it's such an interesting phenomenon to me, and it really just still blows my mind that it's becoming what it is because the popularity of it has just been truly mind-blowing to me, and I think that it's turning into this solution that is not a solution. It is becoming a Band-Aid on a very serious problem, and again, it brings me back to, I know we've all seen it, I know we've seen the clip of... Um, Gwyneth Paltrow talking about her absolutely absurd wellness diet. And it's almost going back to this promotion of allowing people to be skinny and unhealthy. And it's not, it's not a good thing. And I want to constantly remind people that it's very possible to continuously be healthy with daily movement and with lifestyle changes Thin is not always the answer. Not every body is intended to be thin. And even the people that are thin, like bodybuilders and competitors that have that thin physique, let's not forget that a lot of those people are still on steroids. Not every steroid or not every injectable is going to bulk you up and make you look manly. Some of those steroids lean people down and give them that physique that they're going after without being, again, that manly bulky, there are different types of steroids that people are taking. And so you don't really know what people are taking to follow this aesthetic that is not necessarily natural for you. And that's the thing. It's just, you don't know what's going on in the background, right? Like social media, you are not, I mean, are people posting videos of them not being able to eat and, you know, having like nausea and vomiting at the very site of food after they start taking those up but like no i mean you're not seeing the reality of some of it and again this it might be a good thing for someone who needs you know improvement of all of their medical issues like their blood pressure and you know to improve their kidney function and you know all of the things that might come from having like type 2 diabetes but you know and i and we will similarly help resolve some of those issues, you know, for people who are headed, who are obese and who need like control at every single level. But I think there's just, there's again, that kind of dark day to day that 
people are not seeing and we reread about it. You know, I mean, I read um, an article about a doctor who she took it because she, you know, got samples essentially at her office and she was not a type two diabetic, but she had some extra weight from having had babies and things that she had tried. But, you know, as women, of course, you know, our metabolism, our bodies are changing with like every several years of our life. And, and she saw improvement, you know, but she, she tried a couple different variations of the semaglutides over the drugs out. And, but what she found was that she couldn't sustain it because the nausea vomiting was significant and, but it maybe gave her the, the kickstart that she needed to just incorporate some of those healthier changes in her lifestyle um, and commit to being more active, um, to eating, being a little bit more conscious of what she was eating. Um, and she maybe never returned back to the weight that she got from as low as with the semaglutides, but she reached a new happy normal. And I think that that was sort of a good you know way for her to go with it. So I, I really do wish that there was a little bit more, you know, just as much as we're hearing about all the good things, these drugs, mm-hmm. if we could just also hear enough people's like actual testimonials of how they feel when, you know, you can't, you can't put, put anything down. Like, I mean, it, I, I, I would be miserable, <laughs> you know, so as long as people, and, and that's the other thing it's, and I have this issue sometimes, you know, when I like you, you tell people, Hey, okay, you're going in for surgery. Here are the things to expect. Right. And we'll go through, you know, symptoms that they'll, you know, probably you'll have some swelling, redness, things like that. We'll go over the post-operative instructions. And then like, we'll do that a couple of times through, right. We'll do that at your evaluation. We'll do that at your pre-op. And then, but even after like surgery, they're like, I didn't know I was going to have all this swelling, you know? And so there's this element of, I think you will see what you want to see. And if you want to filter out all of the, you know, maybe negative buzz, you'll do that, right? Because you're Mm -hmm. so focused on, you know, this medicine will help me get to the body that I want and I'm going to be happier with this. So that's the trajectory I'm going to follow. So you know, maybe it it just kind of comes with like the nature of that beast. Yeah. I do think that increased transparency would be beneficial as well. I think that seeing both sides of things is always helpful, but as you mentioned, people are essentially going to see what they want to see out of anything. And especially when it comes to social media being a major place that people are getting these ideas they're going to they're going to choose the information that seems appealing to them and a majority of people aren't going to be putting out that more negative or like whatever information they are going to put out those positive things and especially if it becomes something that is incentivized by those influencers and lord knows what kind of trouble we'll be getting to at that point so last last question I want to end with is how do you feel that providers, being a provider yourself, can provide a bit more health literacy to clients or to patients that are seeking out these types of solutions for themselves? I think doing your research as best as you can 
from as many sources as you can, because I can always direct people to, you know, like the official, like American Medical Association website or, you know, the manufacturer's website, you know, for Ozempic mm-hmm. and Interno, but you're going to find a ton of other things on Google, right? And I don't think that's a bad thing, but I think as many sources as you can obtain your information from, whether that means, yeah, from also your friends or coworkers or people you know who've been on it, right? And maybe consulting with like a couple different doctors. You know, I always think in general, that's never a bad idea when people want to do second opinion, third opinion. Yeah, sometimes you just want to know that you're, you know, whatever assessment is being made about you is falling within a general category of like the average, like, you know, thing is the same. So, and, and I encourage people, whether it's, you know, surgery that they're seeking, doing injections, you know, any type of like life altering to, you know, treatment or service, it is so worth it for you to just, you know, again, broaden your scope with your research and make sure you know what you're getting into, you know, look at the good, look at the bad. And, you know, don't just have sort of a narrow, like, idealistic view of what this is going to help you achieve. Like, always have that in the back of your mind. But just know that there's other things that, you know, contribute to maybe your success or your failure with whatever you're seeking. Amazing. I love that. We love getting multiple opinions from different providers and knowledge is power. Remember to always advocate for yourself if you don't feel like somebody is a good match for you. If that's a physician, if that's a treatment plan, advocating for our own health is our responsibility and it's something that we have to take power over. But Dr. Tanya Khan, as always, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you. I love having just educational conversations with you. And I really, really appreciate you being here. Same. No, it, it was such a pleasure to talk with you again. It always is. And I think our discussions like morph into some amazing insights. And that's always wonderful. <laughs> <laughs>